Father, again, we are so thankful for your kindness and your grace towards us, your love and your mercy and your goodness. You are a wonderful God. And I thank you that you were so kind to send your son Jesus for us, that you wouldn't leave us in our sin, that you sent him to die for our sins and he willingly came. I thank you for your son Jesus and thank you for what he did for us. And Father, I thank you that you uh, use your word to reveal your wonderful son Jesus, the Savior, and you use your word also to grow us in respect to salvation. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts today that which is pleasing, so that when all is said and done, you'd be magnified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed already, we live in a very materialistic society. There's no doubt about that, right? Just watch TV. You've got your TV 24-7. Now you've got the Internet, got newspaper, radio. And we're bombarded uh, with... Uh, Images of the things that we should need and want. Um, indeed, we are as human beings as a whole consumed uh, with uh, attaining, gaining, enjoying, protecting our material possessions. Now, whether you're rich or poor, whether uh, uh, whether you've got a lot or a little, uh, we're all familiar with those temptations regarding stuff, regarding things, regarding money. We're all familiar with that. And so uh, in, as we look at this passage today, we're going to realize and see that there's nothing new under the sun. That in the Lord Jesus' day, uh, they too were consumed with money and material possessions. And I believe we're going to see today that the Lord Jesus, through his word, gives us, and we will take the, the treasure test, in a sense, to see where our treasure really is. Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 24. And as you're turning there, I continue to be studying uh, Nehemiah. It's interesting, I was thinking of Ezra, and I said Nehemiah last Sunday, and I was thinking Ezra the whole time, and then I started studying Nehemiah, and I'm thinking Nehemiah. So, <laughs> so we'll just keep studying that. We're getting ready for that, so that's what I've been studying. But uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and we're going to... Uh, look at this wonderful portion. Now, we're looking in the book of Matthew, and the king of the Jews has come to them. They're sitting in darkness. He has called upon them to repent and believe in him, and they have uh, begun to listen, but yet they haven't received him, and later on they would reject him. Uh, at this point, the Lord is sharing in the book of Matthew what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's his teaching on the mount and within this portion we have the lord uh, revealing kingdom righteousness and he is presenting it what real true kingdom righteousness looks like and that kingdom righteousness thus uh, uh, exposes phony righteousness which is thus lawlessness now the lord jesus began by pointing out those who are truly blessed those who have a real relationship with the living god and the characteristics of the blessed. And then after that, he showed how the blessed relate to the world and to the word. And certainly that would confront the phoniness of the hypocrites. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, he would continue uh, to uh, correct things 
and he basically came along and gave six corrections to uh, Jewish misconceptions concerning the word, unveiling wicked hearts and uh, those who thought they were saved, but wicked hearts in those who thought they were saved. Then in chapter 6, Jesus moved from unveiling the wicked motives of the unsaved Jews, shifting to their outward religious actions, uh, which manifest their hypocrisy. Their hearts weren't right, and so their actions were also hypocritical. And so at this point, he begins to uh, move to and address man's uh, relationship to material things, to material things. And that's what we're going to see today as he continues to unveil religious hypocrisy, and we will take uh, the treasure test, and which will reveal that uh, the location of our treasure reveals our true heart condition. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither, where, excuse me, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will be, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light in you, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now this is a very familiar passage, and with familiarity often we may not uh, remember or uh, grasp the significance of what's being said. But this is an important passage which reveals really one's heart condition uh, by exposing what one treasures what one treasures. You see, where your treasure is, is going to reveal where your heart is at. And so notice, as we begin this treasure test, Jesus commands us not to lay up uh, temporal fleeting treasures on earth. Look at this again. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. This is a command from the Lord. He says, do not do this. Do not do this. The implication is if we are doing this, we're not obeying this command. He says, do not do this. Now, it's really important for us to understand the context of the day. You see, these religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were extremely materialistic. What do I mean by that? Well, indeed, when Jesus shared in the parable of the unrighteous steward, he points out clearly in similar language from our passage that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Luke 16, verse 13. Luke 16, 13. No servant, now notice how similar the, the language is here. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Notice how similar it is, right? Then notice this. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, there you go, uh, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. 
And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. They were lovers of money, and God knew their hearts no matter how they appeared on the outside. Now the Jews had been inundated with the false teaching of the hypocritical Pharisees, and they were in darkness. And they uh, obviously would have a perverted view of material things, which would be an evidence of an unredeemed heart or a wicked heart. Now the Pharisees had most likely taken the scriptures from the Old Testament concerning God's promise of prosperity in the land to those who were obedient to the covenant and applied it to themselves. And they were using this uh, religious uh, language as a means to gain wealth, to be greedy and ultimately hypocrites. They were doing that. Now yet in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, God did promise Within the covenant, Israel would prosper if they were obedient, but also within that old covenant truth, there were warnings uh, of an underlying heart attitude of wickedness and deceit concerning material things and money. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And as I was looking at this and reading this, I was thinking, you know, some of our, us in our body, a few, a few have been blessed to be able to sell houses and make a profit and are going to be able to buy houses at reduced rates and be able to have blessings. And we need to remember something. We need to remember something when the Lord blesses you materialistically in a sense. You need to remember something because there is a great temptation to, as we will see, forget the Lord and to have a heart that turns uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. This is when they're coming into the land. Moses is re- re- renewing the law in a sense. He's Deuteronomos. He's speaking it again but while they're on the plains of Moab going into the land. He says, when you have eaten, Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, and, been, and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You should be thankful. You should bless him for those blessings. Notice what he says here. Beware. Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiplies and all that you have multiplies, that your heart becomes proud. Beware, beware, right? Your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt Out of the house of slavery, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you might say in your heart, got to be humbled, right? In your heart, say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with he swore to your your fathers, as it is to this day. And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Beware, if God brings prosperity, that you do not think you have brought that about, and thus uh, uh, become prideful 
The Lord humbled them that they would give him the glory and that he would even bless them. That's what he said. That's what he said. It's clear in the Old Testament that God warned his people of the danger of gathering and pursuing wealth. Of gathering and pursuing wealth. Turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. And all these things have to do with hard attitudes, by the way, that are manifest in actions. Hard attitudes manifest in actions. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Stop thinking about it. He says there, when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes, it, makes itself wings like the eagle flies forward toward the heavens. Now, back in our passage, Jesus says, back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, is Jesus advocating a life of poverty? Is that what he's advocating? Is he saying uh, to be wealthy is sinful? Well, certainly... uh, uh, to the false, uh, 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 to those who have a false view, uh, they might think it is poverty is spirituality. They might think, oh, that's spiritual. That's not what Jesus is saying here, because the focus on the passage is not actually wealth, but where the heart is in relationship to that wealth, where your treasure is. That's what the passage is about. Notice the exclamation, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is not ultimately about treasures. It's about your heart and what it treasures. Okay? So then with this in mind, there are plenty of passages that reveal it's not a sin to be wealthy, but how you handle that wealth is an evidence of where your heart is. Of where your heart is. Take, for instance, Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. He says in verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Hey, this is what you should be telling them. Instruct them who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, not to think in any way, shape, or form, you brought this about. You didn't do that. You're not some super great smart guy that brought about these riches. Not to be conceited, he says here, or to be or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't think you did it and don't put your hope in it. It can come, it can go, the uncertainty of riches. But the implications put put your hope on God who supplies uh, 1 Timothy 6 uh, 17 who, and into the verse, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Very interesting. Uh, instruct them to be good, to, excuse me, to do good. Then he, impl- he shares what he means by that. To be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Hey, they should be ready to, to do good with the wealth that God has brought them. In a sense, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Store your treasures in heaven by using them for Christ on earth. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about it. And then we saw earlier, it was read to us, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Quite an interesting passage, huh? I'm not going to read all of it, uh, but I'm going to read some of it. There's certainly a reproof uh, to those who are storing their wealth 
And then there's an exhortation to those who see it from God to, to allow the labor of their hands to be a blessing and to trust the Lord and give him glory. Uh, I'll share, let's start in verse 12. We can look back earlier. We read it in, from verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12. The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Straightforward, right? This is a grievous evil which I've seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. There you go. This is a grievous evil. We're going to see biblically if we have uh, finances, we are stewards of that and it is God's. It's to enjoy, but then also to invest in his will and desires, as we will say. When those riches are lost through a bad investment, and he has fathered a son, there's nothing to support him. As he has come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return whereas he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor so that, that he can carry in his hand. Also, this is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Hey, if you're focusing on that which is fleeting and you can't keep, what's the advantage of that? What's the advantage? So we're going to see, uh, he says here, throughout his life, uh, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Wow, sounds like fun. How about that? Uh, why don't you search for riches and go after that? There you go. There's the, there's the fun God says you're going to have. Uh, be facetious. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat and drink and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor to which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is, is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. You can have enough to enjoy if your heart is right. But if your heart is wrong, you're in big trouble. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And so we see those instructed who are rich to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, ready to share, uh, storing up for themselves treasure in heaven. And so here we recognize now, as we as believers in this country, we are very wealthy. Even the poorest of poor are pretty wealthy, by the way. Our, the, the store shelves are stocked full. We don't have any need, really. We have whatever we want, really, when we want it. We are extremely wealthy. And so we should uh, certainly enjoy what God has given us, but there's a fine line between that and having a heart that is in want and in desire and focused on material things. And so we'll see that. So then, uh, on a side note, uh, thinking about work and, and, and providing, there's some passages that give us insight in why we work. Ephesians chapter 4 is a passage that gives us insight why we should be working, by the way. I'll read it for you. Ephesians 4.28, Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who is in need. Part of the reason God has us work is so that we can share with those who are in need. First uh, uh, Timothy chapter six verse six. Uh, but godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied with by contentment. Um, bodily discipline, little profit, 
But godliness is great gain. We're coming back to contentment. For if we brought, for we have brought nothing into the world. This is First Timothy six seven. So we can not take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If we have what God has promised to give us, uh, we should be content, right? So we need to be careful not to set our hearts on finances, not to set our hearts on money, as we're going to see. And if it increases, we need to be very careful that we do not forget God and remember that he is the one that brought it about, that he is the one who is gracious and kind in the context of his kindness towards us. And then if you look on 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, actually, let's turn there, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, because this is so important. So we should be content with what we have. If we have food and covering, we should be content with that. But if something else is going on, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Look at verse 9. And again, I mentioned that the people who've been blessed selling houses for lots of money here and then buying houses for cheap in other places. Very blessed. Be careful. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts that you don't focus on the material things. You don't focus on those things and have a heart that strays away from Christ. Here we have here uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, but those who want to get rich, not even are rich, but just even have a desire, want to get rich. He says those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Uh-oh. And the snare of many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. I just think of plunging men, the, the, the words the Lord uses through Paul here, plunging them into ruin and destruction, like a car going over the side into ruin and destruction. It's really, really bad. Uh, it's really, really bad to want to get rich. It's a very, very bad, okay? And he says here, of any snare, foolish, harmful desires, there you go, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Four, verse 10, the love of money, not money, the love of money, is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. This is pretty serious. And pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things. Timothy, run away from that stuff. Run away from longing for money. Running, run away from that and pursue this instead, Timothy. But flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue those things. Pursue those things. So it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money. It's the desire of money. And the money means stuff, right? Money is, is stuff. It, it's all that stuff. It's the material things. It's, it's money. It's, it's, it's wealth. It's the desire. Rather than having a contentment with what you have, being content with what you have, whether rich or poor. So back in our passage, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. The implication is it's not secure, it's going to rot, or it's going to go bye-bye. It's going to go bye-bye or it's going to rot. Okay. The term lay up here is an interesting word. Thesorizo. Uh, it means treasures. Oh, excuse me, the Greek word layup is thorizo, and, and it's, uh, it speaks of uh, the, the, the layup thorizo, and the, the treasures is thesauros. So thorizo, thesauros, is what he says. Do not treasure treasures, okay? 
do not treasure. Now, the term uh, Theosaurus spoke of a store of treasure, a large quantity of treasure. Do not treasure up treasures. That's what he's saying here. Don't be treasuring up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't be storing up, treasuring up, that's really the way the word is, treasuring up valuable earthly things. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Upon earth. That's where we live, isn't it? Last time I checked, I live on earth. We live on the earth, right? That's where we, the sphere of which we exist right now. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. You see, in the ancient world, even clothes were very valuable. And the sign of wealth would be a lot of clothes. And yet clothing, uh, the enemy of the clothing was the moth. And the moth would eat the clothing, you see, where moths would destroy. The word rust here simply means eating away. And it often spoke of food, by the way, not simply metal. We kind of see moth and, as it rust here. And often your wealth would be measured in the amount of uh, commodities or things you had, the, the flocks and the grains that you had. And certainly that grain would be eaten away by bugs. It would be gone. It would be gone. And then obviously there's the statement including those things which uh, could be taken and stolen by thieves where thieves uh, break in and steal. This, your stuff is in the sphere of sin and corruption. Don't lay up your treasure in the sphere of sin and corruption, right? Don't do it there. Don't do it there because we are sojourners. We're passing through, by the way. This isn't our home as we're going to say. And so the point is, earthly possessions are not safe. They are fleeting. They are subject to a cursed creation and the fall of man. They are temporal and not eternal. They are earthly and not heavenly. They are transitory and not eternal. And again, consider what Solomon, the wealthiest king who ever ruled Israel, said. He says in Proverbs 4:23:4, "Do not weary yourself to gain wealth." Cease from the consideration of it. Cease. He says, when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes wings for itself, like an eagle flies towards the heavens. Consider his conclusions, the same Solomon in Ecclesiastes, after he spent a lot of time wasting his time accumulating stuff. Now Solomon was blessed by God with wisdom, and he was blessed with riches, but then he accumulated things he wasn't supposed to accumulate, he sinned in that sense. Think about what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had extend, exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Ecclesiastes now 2 verse 18. Thus I hated the fruit of the labor from which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And then verse 20. Therefore, I completely despaired of all despised, excuse me, despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. It's a grievous task. You know, if you're seeking after that, even if you get it, you're going to despise it. It's never enough. You've got to hold on to it, and it's fleeting. Uh, it's, it is in a cursed world, and it could be gone in a second. And so then we have the thieves who, who break in. They dig in, literally dig in. Uh, there would be those who would bury their money or they'd have in their house. They would dig through the wall, dig a tunnel in there, and grab the money. That's what they would do. So Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He's talking about valuable material possessions of the day. 
right? Clothing, uh, grain, uh, obviously money in that sense. We'll see it certainly can, has to do with money. Money buys all those things, by the way. He's going to say you can't serve two, two, two masters, God and mammon. Mammon means money. And so here, as I shared earlier, Jesus is not advocating poverty. He is addressing the selfish and greedy heart attitude of hoarding up earthly treasure for oneself, obviously unwilling to part with that treasure. Possessions are not the problem. It's the wrong attitudes towards those possessions, those temporal possessions that could fly away that Jesus is addressing. For example, in Scripture, we have many examples and evidences of the fact that those of those who have such wrong attitudes and they're wealthy. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. It's not a sin to be wealthy, but it sure is a temptation. Write our Proverbs. Hey, don't give me wealth lest I forget you. Right? Pretty smart. Pretty biblical, right? Right out of Deuteronomy. Uh, I, if I'm blessed, I might forget you. That's a temptation, right? It's a temptation. James chapter 5. Now, he's not saying every rich person is this way, but by and large, a lot of them were in the time of James, and they were the ones who were oppressing uh, who were oppressing the Jews. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 1, those Jewish believers. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now, the rich weren't reading the scriptures. They weren't there listening to this, but he's saying it for the benefit of those believers who are being oppressed by them because this is the future of what's going to happen to those who trust in their wealth. He says here, Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days you have stored up your treasure. You're in the point where judgment is coming and you're focusing on these earthly things. You're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which have been withheld by you, cried us, cried us, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your heart in the day, fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter, right? Very serious. Consider uh, the parable that Jesus shares about the rich fool. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And if you just read through this, it doesn't seem like this guy is such a bad guy. He's not out murdering people. He's not lighting people's houses on fire. He's not uh, shooting people. But look what Jesus says about it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. There you go. That sets off this parable. That sets it off. He says, For not even when when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, he's saying to himself, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So is the man who lays it up for himself. Okay? Powerful. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We know, as the Lord Jesus would share in Mark, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Forfeits his own soul. So you see, if you have the continual habitual mindset of seeking your own desires and storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, it is an evidence you do not know the living God. If that is the continual habitual mindset you have. Now, sadly, we believers can fall into those mindsets we had before we were saved. And God needs to come up with his word and expose those wrong views so that we would not sin in that manner and we would have a right heart towards these fleeting earthly possessions and a right heart towards the grand earthly treasure or heavenly treasures that are being stored up, not earthly, but heavenly. You see, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And the Pharisees loved money. They loved the stuff. And it was an evidence that they were, and maybe you, are living in the context of spiritual death. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Let me ask you, are you storing up for yourself treasures on earth? Is your life based on money or the lack of pers- or pursuing it or whatever it might be? Maybe the Lord gracious, Lord is graciously showing you where your heart is at. What do you live for? What motivates you each day? Is it earthly things? Certainly God gives us things to enjoy, but we're not to store them up and treasure them. We're to store our treasures in heaven. Our treasures in heaven. So then, maybe there's some of you who don't have many material things, and maybe that lack of it is what you're focused on. That may be an evidence your heart is not in the right place. We are commanded and we are not to be laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. Don't treasure yourselves. Don't treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. But notice what Jesus does. Back in our passage, he gives a contrast. In contrast to that, not treasuring up treasures for yourself on earth, he says, but in verse 20, but... Treasure up, lay up, that's the same word, storehouse, treasure up uh, for yourselves. Notice it's for yourselves, it benefits you, but this is in a different way now. Treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. There is no uh, corruption in heaven. There is no sin. Uh, There are no thieves. There are no sinners. There are only redeemed sinners, as we'll see. There are only the righteous, the holy, as we'll see. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In heaven. This is what you should be hoarding, in a sense. This is what you should be treasuring up. Treasures in heaven. So we have temporal treasures on earth versus eternal treasures in heaven. Don't hoard stuff here, obviously with a wrong heart attitude, but treasure yourself treasures in heaven. But but what is that? What are treasures in heaven? What are treasures in heaven? Well, first of all, we see a very clear contrast. It's in heaven. That helps us, right? And these things also are not subject to the corruption of a fallen world and sinful man. 
They're not subject. He says we're neither moth nor rust nor thieves break in, right? It's not subject to a fallen world. This is in heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. But what are these? And how do we treasure them? How do we lay them up? How do we do it? Well, I think we can uh, understand heavenly treasures by that, which are the things which we receive when we're initially saved. We get treasure and reward in heaven. There's some eternal inheritance we'll see. And then there are that which the Lord allows us to receive as we're being sanctified. As we're being sanctified. Notice in terms of our initial salvation, the treasure that we have. First Peter uh, chapter uh, 1 um, Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain, so because of our salvation, we're going to obtain something. This is every believer. We're going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. It's being reserved. It's there for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And notice what, uh, go to Matthew 19, turn from Matthew uh, 6, Matthew 19. And we saw this a couple weeks ago, but notice what Jesus says to the rich young ruler about treasure, about treasure. Uh, verse 16 of Matthew 19, Behold, one of them came to him, saying, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might attain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me? What is, what is good? There is only one who is good. This is Matthew 8, 19, excuse me, uh, middle of verse 17. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall not love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I've kept. What am I lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have what? Treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The implication is, you get saved by giving up what you hold on to. Uh, and you turn to me and follow me. You're going to have treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And I love this. And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Isn't that wonderful? I would love to be there, right? But we're here as we see it in the scripture. With God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, And now look at and listen to this. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Uh, and he says here, uh, he says, uh, what then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the Teltrites of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. 
but many are the many who are first will be last and last will be first so jesus made it clear if this rich young leader would repent of his covetousness as evidenced by his loving his possessions that he would have treasure in heaven he would have treasure in heaven and then he also made it clear that those who have left houses and brothers and, and sisters and fathers and mothers, uh, children, farms for his sake, will shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. So certainly when we come to faith, we inherit eternal life and we have treasure in heaven. But our passage now speaks about laying up treasure now as we are uh, on this earth. Rather than laying it up on earth, laying it up a process of laying it up in heaven. And I believe the Lord Jesus is speaking of the continual act of focusing on the eternal things of Christ with the result of laying up eternal reward in him, as we're going to see. This constitutes every area of our lives in which we are obedient and trusting Jesus Christ, where we are abiding in him and the things he does through us, there will be, as we will see, reward in heaven there will be reward in heaven let me give you some examples first of all notice in the area of finances Uh, when one is yielded to christ not conceited putting their hope in christ rather than their riches and then using those riches for god and his glory there lays up their selves treasure in heaven struck those who are rich in good deeds struck those who are rich in good deeds uh excuse me struck those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited uh, or to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who gives, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to be good, and then to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. You know, those who have finances, you're generous, ready to share. You're using your money for, for good, for what God, those good deeds that God has ordained you walk in, using your money for that. And he says here, storing for themselves It says, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Life indeed. We see here very clearly uh, that uh, we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven by how we handle our finances on earth. Let me share another passage. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You see, if our finances are used for his glory and his, his, his work, uh, and that he's thanked for it and given all the praise for it, we're going to see there's something that happens. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. This is speaking about giving, by the way. This is speaking about giving for the body of Christ, for the benefit of those who are in need in this context. That's, he says here, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Let each one do as he's purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having a sufficiency in everything. You just give, and God's going to take care of you, by the way. Sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. He's going to provide an abundance for you to actually give for every good deed. And what does he say here? As it is written, he scattered a body, gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. 
Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, how you function with your word. Is it cut off, Jim? Okay, thanks. Uh, how about Philippians chapter 4? Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Philippians 4.15 And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, Paul writes to the Philippians, no church shared with me in the matter of receiving or giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. They're supporting the Apostle Paul in the ministry, by the way, for his needs. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which which it increases to your account. That's heavenly treasure, by the way, as we're going to see. He says here, But I have received everything in full, having abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. A godly use of your finances is one small element of laying up treasures in heaven. Laying up treasures in heaven. Now indeed, earlier in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus compared the temporal rewards of the hypocrites to the rewards of those who, who gave with the right heart. The hypocrites, they had their reward. They gave, clink, clink, everyone's watching, listening, there are, everyone sees them, there's your reward. You got it. But the Father rewards those who do it in secret, in a sense, who, who give uh, without uh, wanting to have people uh, see what they're doing, who give from a right heart. And it was clear that they would be rewarded in heaven. Rewarded in heaven, okay? You're going to be rewarded in heaven for what you uh, do in the context of your finances for Christ, by the way. If it's right, if it's a cheerful giver, it's a right heart, it's generous, it's, it's lo- in the context of love, for God's glory, you're going to be rewarded and one thing we also see is the willingness to give up for christ there's great reward in that also turn to hebrews chapter 10 the willingness to give up hebrews chapter 10 speaking of these hebrews when they initially came to faith and and suffered hebrews uh 10 32 you see they're gonna you're gonna see that when you are confident in christ when you believe what he has said, in spite of the difficulty you go through, there's great reward. There's great reward. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 32. But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, they, their eyes were open, they, they, they understood their sin, they turned to Jesus Christ. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partially by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partially by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and abiding one. They knew they had their place in heaven, the reward in heaven, their, a better place in heaven. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. There is great reward for trusting Christ. For, for suffering for him and trusting him. There's great reward. Uh, Hebrews 11.24, look up a little bit. Hebrews 11.24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. And that certainly happened, by the way. Read uh, Exodus uh, and, and Numbers. Then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The reproach of Christ brings great reward. When you are reproached for doing what is right, when you are reproached for Christ, when you, are, uh, 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 when you suffer for Christ, there is great eternal reward. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, not only we know that also um, from back in the, the Sermon on the Mount earlier in chapter 5, we know that there's great reward for those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for Christ, right? There's great re- rejoice. Your reward in heaven is great. When you trust the Lord through the difficulties he allows, you are storing up treasure in heaven. You're storing up treasure in heaven. When we obey and walk with the Lord, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Uh, also, we recognize that when we keep his word, there's, there's reward. When you keep his word, there's reward. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. You see, there's a true reward for righteousness, by the way. There's a true reward for when you abide in Christ and his character is manifest in you in this life. There is a reward for the deeds that he brings about in your life when you trust Christ, when his word is working in you. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are all righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, that's God's word, by the way, God's word, thy servant is warned, and in keeping them and obeying God's word, there is what? Great reward. Great reward. We are rewarded for what we do with our finances. We're rewarded for how we react to suffering. We're rewarded as we obey the Lord. It all has to do with his word. We obey him. He speaks to us through his word, and you obey his voice. Proverbs 13, 13, I'll read this for you. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the, the commandment will be rewarded. God just says that. Says that. Proverbs eleven eighteen. Uh, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward, a true reward. Those w- things that you get now, they're not a reward. We can be blessed by God's graciousness, but we better not forget where it came from. We better not uh, become conceited. We better not fix our hope in it. We better keep storing treasures in heaven, not on earth. You see, the one who sows righteousness gets a true reward. God is a good God. God is a just God. He is a God who will not... Uh, uh, repay us for our difficulty in this life. He's a faithful God. He's a good God. He's not going to allow us to go through things without providing for us. We see uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 5, I told you about that, that we are to rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted for righteousness, for our reward is great. And scripture is clear, there's going to be a judgment seat, by the way. There's going to be a judgment seat where I believe we are rewarded for our things done in the body. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, recompensed, rewarded, paid back in a sense, for his deeds in the body, 
according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's going to happen. We almost appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, talking about uh, what we build upon. If we build upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles, uh, which is the word of God, Christ the cornerstone, then there's going to be a reward. If that's what we're built upon, if we're not built upon that, there's going to be nothing. By the way, it's going to get burned up. 1 Corinthians 3.8. Now Paul is addressing the pride of these people who are very clearly uh, focusing on man. I'm of this, I'm of that, I'm this guy, I'm of that guy. And he's saying, look, uh, we're nothing. We're nothing. It's God that did it all. And he's going to explain. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters, speaking of Paul uh, sharing the word of God and then and Paul watering and or Paul planting and Paul's watering, says, will receive his what? Own, or excuse me, plants what are one, but each will receive his own reward, right? Is it, you see that? Reward. According to his what? Labor. His labor, okay? For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. Hey, when we serve Christ, we labor in Christ, we're going to be rewarded. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Seek things of him. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. How do I do that? I labor for the kingdom. I labor for Christ. I put him first. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. Paul is going to be rewarded for laying a foundation, being obedient to Christ, sharing the word of God. Another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built remains, he shall receive what? A reward. You want to lay it for yourselves, treasures in heaven, serve Jesus Christ. Serve him in all that you do at work, with your children, at uh, school, uh, at church. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ from the right heart, yielded in him, allowing him to work through you. Serve him. He says, we'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet, as through fire. Colossians chapter 2 or 3, what does Jesus say about when you're doing your work? At work, you go to work, you go wherever you're working. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily unto the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And it's apparent that these rewards seem to be tied up with his coming for us. Uh, Revelation 22:12. Behold, I'm coming quickly, Jesus says, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. If you want to lay up yourselves treasures, trust Jesus. Obey Jesus. Uh, allow him to control your life. Yes, enjoy the blessings he has, but be content whether it's a lot or a little. Uh, be content with what you have. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. What you do now counts. What you do now counts. Uh, Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter six, verse ten. 
For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and your love for which you've shown towards his name, having ministered and still ministering to the saints. He's not going to forget that. You know, we see in Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 6, that we must believe that God is the rewarder of those who seek him. He's a good God. He's a fair God. You suffer now. You serve him. You give up for him. You're going to be rewarded. Or you can live for yourself and store it up, and it's all gone, okay? But either way, it reveals where your heart is at. So then, where are you laying up for yourself? Treasures. We're going to see where your treasure is reveals where your heart is. Where your heart is. Notice the location of your treasure reveals your spiritual condition. Verse 21, back in our passage. So he said, don't lay up here, but lay it up here. Don't do it here, but lay it up here. Right? Lay it up where it's not going to be stolen. It's eternal. It's not subject to sin and corruption. Uh, the stuff on earth is, right? He says, for where your treasure is, verse 21, there your heart will be also. Where you, what your treasure is, where your heart's going to be, folks, is just what Jesus says. It's true. It's true. If your focus is on the world and this stuff, that's where your heart's going to be. If your focus is on the things of Christ, uh, as revealed through the word of God, then you're going to see where your heart is at. It's going to be upon him. You see, don't lie to the Lord and to others by saying your treasure's in heaven when you treasure the things of this earth. doesn't mean we don't enjoy the blessings God has, but we don't treasure. We're not storing up and treasuring these things. We are treasuring the things of Christ. We are to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ is revealed, we'll be revealed with him in glory, Colossians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we don't lose heart. Paul was almost to the point of death, but God is being glorified through them dying, almost dying for Christ. And so he says, therefore we don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, but though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. He understood that. You understood that. While we look not the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And we treasure things. We treasure things. Treasure God. Treasure him. Treasure his word. Thy word I have treasured in my heart. I'm storing it up. Store up his word in your heart. Treasure his word in your heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 19.10, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, fine gold. We're to treasure up God's word. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Focus on Christ. Set your mind on him. Treasure the things of Christ, his precious church purchased with his own blood. Treasure Christ, the things of Christ, the things revealed uh, above. Let me ask you. What do you think about more? Serving Christ, being in his word, serving him, his people? Or do you think about gaining stuff? Gaining and keeping stuff. That's, uh, that's where your heart, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Again, there's not a sin to have some stuff that God blesses you with. We saw in Ecclesiastes. But it certainly could be a sin, and it certainly could be an evidence that you don't know Christ. Or it could be a blessing of him that is not something you treasure and focus on, but you are blessed by temporarily as you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Now notice, Jesus uses an illustration to show of the eye to point to the heart. Back to our passage. He says in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. Okay, he's given an illustration. If therefore your eye is clear, now he's going to give a, a physical illustration. You know, you see the light enters the body through the eye, right? Physical illustration. But he's going to be talking really about the heart. He just talked about the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now he's going to illustrate that with the idea of an eye in the physical body. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, or literally the word is evil, uh, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that's in you is darkness, how great the darkness he is using an illustration, and we've got to take it in its direct context, like I just said. He just said, for where your heart is, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And he's illustrating. So he says this physical me- mechanism, which is the physical body receives light, uh, is, is, that, uh, is that which reveals here something about you. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is clear, or if your heart, as we'll see, is clear, since your whole body be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body be full of darkness. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where the eyes of your heart focus on? What do they focus on? Pretty simple. On a physical level, if your eye is clear, uh, light enters your body. But if your eye is bad, no light gets in and your light that's in you is darkness, right? And thus, what you think about is the focal point of where your treasure is. If you are thinking about the stuff of this world, 99% of the time, something is wrong. How dark it is in you. How dark it is in you. Now, we as believers can become like we were. We can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And when that happens, we need to confess and renew our minds and our focus. If you find yourself caught up in the stuff of this world, like again, God blesses us, but if you're caught up and that is your focus... That is what your eye sees all the time. Everything that comes into your life through your heart is all about the stuff of this world. How dark it is inside you. How great is the darkness. But if it's about Christ and it's about him and it's about walking, then the light is getting in in a sense, you see. It's light, not darkness, right? A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. Proverbs 28, 22. How great the darkness, right? Jesus shares in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest having been wrought in God. This is the message, 1 John 1, verse 5, that we've heard from the beginning announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth. If you say you have fellowship with Jesus but your heart consists of focusing on treasuring the stuff of this world, you're walking in darkness. You're walking in darkness. We need to set our mind on the things above, set our mind on the things of Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth right treasures on earth but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven now for those of you who haven't come to christ you're 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 dark by nature and god is a gracious god 
and he has sent his son Jesus, and he sent the gospel, like Paul said, Jesus said, or Jesus said to Paul, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the domain of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. When you realize you're a selfish person focused on yourself and, and in sin, Christ will forgive you and you will be delivered into his kingdom and you will then be able to seek the things of him. And believe me, there's no joy for a believer that's focused on the things of this earth. I'll tell you right now, there's joy when you're focused on Christ. There's joy in the Lord. There's joy in the Lord. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So let's finish up. Uh, there's a sobering exhortation now at the end. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means money. You see, you can't serve two masters, Jesus said. It's impossible. Don't fool yourself. You can't treasure the things of the world and follow Jesus. It won't work. You will find yourself uh, loving one and hating the other, despising the other. The term master here, kurios, uh, is the term Lord, translated Lord. You can't serve two lords. You can't serve your own desires and serve Christ. It is impossible. It will not work. Jesus is saying it will not work. And the reason why is for you will either hate the one or love the other. You will hold to the one, despise the other. For where your treasure is, back in 21, there your heart will be. You see, some of you may be setting aside Christ, pushing him aside, pushing aside the things of Christ because your treasure is in the things of this world. You can't serve two masters. You need to repent and turn to Christ and turn to Christ. Maybe there's some of you named the name of Christ, but you despise him with your heart where your heart is. You know who your master is. You know who you serve every day. You get up and think about it all the time. What do you think of? Where is your treasure? You can fool man, but you can't fool God. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. It's impossible. There's no room for games here with God. It's just the absolute. It's one or the other. So what about us believers? We can't serve two masters. And we know the frustration and the pain and agony of trying to do so. Confess it and be set free. Set your mind on the things above. Serve Christ. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth and thieves don't break in. You see, godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So then maybe some of you uh, don't know the Lord as evidenced by where your heart's at. You can know him today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess your sin. Trust in Christ Call upon him for salvation. He will save you. And for those of us, we live in a world that is inundating us with materialism all around us. The stuff is everywhere. It's not wrong to enjoy what God blesses you with from your labor, but it is wrong to forget him and to focus on that. Beware, beware when he blesses you that you turn away and you focus on those things, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Focus on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that your son gave us through your word that we can't serve two masters. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is serving themselves, who doesn't know you, that you would save them, Lord Jesus, and they'd be set free. They'd rejoice 
uh, being set free from the bondage of uh, laying up treasure on earth, the, the materialism, the, the bondage and pain and sorrow and eternal emptiness and punishment. And Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, may we be reminded of this to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Lord, as you bless us with things in this life, may we not set our treasure in those things. May we treasure uh, you. May we treasure your word. May we treasure your people. May we treasure uh, doing your will for your glory by your strength. So, Lord, examine our hearts and help us confess and be cleansed. We pray this in Jesus' name.